Wild Tuesday night at college basketball. Kentucky murder Texas A&M at Rupp Arena. Malik Monk uh, went big per usual. Indiana lost again. That's now three straight losses for the Hoosiers. Uh, this time uh, to Wisconsin inside Assembly Hall. Chris Beard guided Texas Tech to a, a massive win over West Virginia. Like I said, it just turned into a, a really interesting Tuesday night at college basketball. But the big story was uh, Kansas's win over Kansas State that featured Svee Mikhailuk uh, taking more steps than uh, is allowed in a, a college basketball game or any kind of basketball game, far as I know, uh, to make a game-winning shot at the buzzer. Kansas won, Kansas State lost, and the refs absolutely blew it. I heard a lot of people last night you know, asking the question, whether it's uh, on social media or other places, like how could the refs miss that travel? And, and perhaps they did just miss the travel, but I don't know how you could miss it because the rest of the world saw it in real time. It looked more to me like they just for whatever reason like refused to make the call swallowed their whistles inside Allen Fieldhouse perhaps caught up in the moment because um either way one of two things happened they missed an obvious travel or they refused to call an obvious travel which which one is it i think they missed it gp if they saw it refused it that's even worse in my opinion um the replies to the video that I posted have been making me laugh for about 12 hours now here because there have been some really funny jokes that have been thrown out there uh, but you know it's not funny for K-State fans and you know, listen I, I've actually gotten some pushback from Kansas fans because the story that I posted included the video all the details but I did inject you know some perspective and that is that when you play at Fog Allen Fieldhouse uh, it feels like the whistles just tend to go a little bit more Kansas's way even more than usual whenever you're dealing with a road game Kansas fans don't want to hear that but it is a reality talk to any coach and they feel like it is a tough tough whistle as an opponent going into that building obviously Kansas is great year in and year out and self is one of the best coaches in the game so all those things add up to it I do think that the conference should release a statement of acknowledgement here now it seems like that's not going to happen um and even Kerry Keating, who is on Twitter and is a former D1 coach and will probably get a coaching gig at some point again in the future, said don't expect it um, and there's really no point to it. I would argue that it sets a bad precedent not to acknowledge such a blatantly terrible non-call at the end of a game scenario here because what's wrong is wrong and you should acknowledge that. It does not serve your league any better to hang K-State out to dry in that kind of manner. Uh, the play itself is kind of hilarious to watch because here's what happens, GP. It was supposed to go to Mason, Frank Mason, and he was going to have this chance to decide. And this is what Svi said in the postgame. Uh, Mason was going to have the option to either shoot it or going to hit Graham if he thought he was he was free and had the better shot. Svi was never supposed to have the, the ball, but K-State <laughs> vended the inbound play really, really well. And suddenly he ends up with the ball in his hands. He gets really eager. He takes three steps, and the still frame from Jesse Newell, who covers the team, is amazing where it shows where he picks up his dribble and where he releases his shot. No human, no human, not even Yao Ming could cover that much ground with two legitimate steps. It's very, very funny. Um, but because of this, you know, Kansas was thrown off. The officials were clearly thrown off. I mean, it, if, if they saw it and just choked and didn't call it, to me that's worse. They should 
release a statement acknowledging the mistake because everyone knows it's a mistake. I, I just don't like the precedent of the, it happened, let's move on, and then last thing, I'll throw this to you, GP. When it comes to an endgame scenario, they had to go to the monitor review to make sure he got the ball off in time, and I know that we have talked about this before, and we're going to talk about it again because the, it was the biggest story last night, and it's carrying over here into Wednesday. They reviewed to see if he had the ball off in time. I'm almost positive you agree with me, GP, because I can remember us talking about this. When you have a last play of the game scenario and you go to a monitor, everything should be on the table for review. There is not a logical argument against it that... <laughs> Think about it. Svi, he clearly travels. It's, it's one of those most blatant endgame travel situations you've ever seen. And instead of having the rules in place where you can call the violation... Because, you know, maybe, oh, then we have how much time left and you don't know what would have happened. I don't care. It's, it's a blatant endgame situation, a violation. It's, it's, to me, no different than if he does or doesn't get the ball off in time out of his hands. For simply the last play, or what is the penultimate last play, because if he gets the ball off in time or whatever, those things should be under review. They're not. Because of that, Kansas wins, extends his home game winning streak at the Fog to 47 in a row. And, you know, K-State fans are bent now. I don't know that if I completely agree with that because where do you stop? Like, okay, that was a travel, clearly. Um, if somebody stepped on a baseline, we got it. That's undeniable as long as the video evidence is irrefutable. But, like, are we doing hand checks? Like, are we going to go back and look at the last play and say, oh, he had his hand on him? Because there are a lot of things that happen on final plays of basketball games that we just – we say, okay, by the book, technically that might have been a foul, but we're not calling a foul. Uh, so, like, I think you have to clearly define what you're going to look at and what you're not. It travels, maybe. Um, like, uh, stepping on baselines, maybe. Goaltends, maybe. But, like, when you get into, we're just going to look at the final possession of every game, and if there's a violation or a foul, we will call it um, retroactively. I think you really get into a tough spot because then it comes down to um, – then it comes down to – uh, hey, that's technically a foul, but are we really going to call that a foul? I don't know if you want to get into that area. The foul is a, is a decent counter argument, but a travel violation isn't you know isn't the same as a foul, and this one was blatant. I mean, imagine if this happens in a Final Four game. Oh my God! Like, <laughs> oh, it was terrible. That's why. Uh, I, that's I, but here's the, yeah, the reason you never. Well, uh, could be two reasons. I was going to say the reason you never see a blatant travel like that not called is because it's called every time. Like, it's so obvious. The other reason why you don't really see people do that very often, just take three straps in transition the way that she did. So it was. It, it might have been one of those deals, and I've heard officials say this before. It feels like there was a moment in the Golden State-Cleveland finals or some NBA playoff game where there was an obvious thing that happened and you should have called it, but the official said in that moment, their explanation afterward, and somebody listening right now will know exactly what I'm talking about, but there was a big moment in the NBA playoffs in recent years, and it was an obvious violation. And once the officials had to explain or acknowledge, yes, we missed it, the other thing they said was, you're looking for so many things in that moment. Your eyes are focused on so many different things. When you see something that you, you just don't expect to see or that you rarely see or never see, it, it's jarring. Like you don't know what to do in that moment. And so I say all that to say, I wonder if the officials were just like caught 
like, whoa, what just happened? Because you don't see somebody take those kinds of steps in transition very often in a basketball game. They might have – they. so there's either – one of three things here happened. They either just missed it, which I don't see how you can miss that, or two, they just swallowed their whistles because, you know, Allen Fieldhouse is something else, or it was such a weird thing to see on a basketball court, this person just take off running <laughs> before launching a game winner, that they didn't – their eyes weren't ready for that. Do you, do you, does it make sense what I'm saying at all? I, yeah, because uh, I do, and I don't accept it, and I know Kansas State fans just don't accept it. I know a lot of oh, I'm not accepting accept it either. It, but I, I know yeah. you're not accepting yeah. it either, but it is, I know, because it's so jarring and, and such a blatant violation that, yeah, yeah, you're just not trained to expect that in that kind of moment. He just took off running. He looked like my three-year-old. Like my three-year-old. My three-year-old sometimes, we have a basketball go inside the house. We shoot on all the time. And sometimes, you know, he we, we works on Dre's dribble, dribble, dribble. Sometimes he just takes off running with the ball and dunks it. Like, that's basically, he like, looked like my three-year-old. Just like effing, I'm doing it. I know. It was, it was, uh, and it was, by the way, it was a good game. In terms of K-State, they were able to come back from a 12-point deficit. They played well. Self has only lost nine times in that building since he's been Kansas's coach and made me respect Kansas State a little bit more here. I'm going to start paying attention to like they had a good record to this point. Don't right. get me wrong, but uh, not a tremendous strength of schedule. So now we'll at least keep an eye on them overall. But, yeah, it's, I just in my opinion, the Big 12 should release a statement acknowledging the mistake. They're not going to overturn it, obviously, and it is what it is. But it, it, it's hard for me to accept that you would have such a blatant violation not get called and it for literally to it decides the game it's the last play of the game and we're just supposed to just move on and accept that yeah. i i have a, i have an issue with it you have a point with the fouls and if you want to i wouldn't have an issue if you if they miss the foul it's it's person to person contact okay um a travel is on the player and the player only it's the same thing in my opinion as a player getting a shot off in time or not getting a shot off in time you know it's it's the player that has the ball he's the one deciding it in the moment um so that's that's where i draw a pretty firm line i don't know if the rule will change maybe it needs to happen in an ncaa tournament game for it to change and not on january 3rd but yeah kansas gets a, a big win at home and the big 12 had uh it had an interesting night for sure and kansas obviously by getting right. wins like this and west virginia not quite getting the win you know, it's tough to win on the road, sure. but, you know, this is this is something that could ultimately decide the league at the end of the day because West Virginia had the lead on Tech. It goes to overtime, and they're unable to pull it out. I do think it's worth noting it wasn't a win-or-lose situation for Kansas. If that, if that violation would have been called, we would have gone to overtime, at which point Kansas would have still been favored to win the game. So it's not like they won simply because of that. They might have won anyway, but certainly the violation should have been called. Um, I sell that to say – the ramifications here are big. You know, what if Kansas ends up tied for the Big 12 title at the end of this? They could, like, it could, it, this could, this one non call could be the thing that extends their Big 12 uh, regular season championship streak to 13 years. Um, you know, they, they, it, this, this could have historic ramifications. On the other hand, uh, Bruce Weber entered the season on the hot seat. Uh, there's a lot of Kansas State fans who thought they should have fired him after last season so that they could have grabbed Brad Underwood at that moment because they knew if you didn't hire Brad Underwood after last season, somebody was hiring Brad Underwood. It was going to be 
Oklahoma State or UNLV. But like Brad Underwood was never going to do another year at Stephen F. Austin. And so the thought among Kansas State fans, because Brad's a Kansas State alum, was move on Bruce now and go get Brad Underwood now. They obviously chose not to do that. But still, all the pressure was on Bruce and his staff this year. Like, if they don't have a good year, um, there's probably going to be a coaching change. So, like, you just took an opportunity to have a win at Allen Fieldhouse off the table of a guy who's coaching for his career right now. Like, I mean, that that's serious stuff. And so those officials, uh, whether the Big 12 releases a statement or not, I don't really care because the statement's not going to do anything. But those officials should be um, – and I'm not big on like everybody should be punished and suspended, but those 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 officials who either missed that or refused to call it or whatever, um, they should be held accountable in some in some tangible way, because by not blowing that whistle last night, uh, they created a scenario where Kansas State didn't get an honest overtime to try to get a massive road win, not over only the Big 12 favorite, but over a big time rival in a year where their head coach is fighting for his job. That's that's not good. And so release a statement, don't release a statement, but uh, those officials messed up. And uh, I hope no matter what else we say about the situation, that doesn't get lost in the conversation. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or for that concert or show that you want to attend and none of the older ticket sites have ever seemed much interested in trying to change that confusion. SeatGeek is different. They've created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go when I buy tickets for games and concerts. It's also the place you should go. So download that app uh, because SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites to ensure you get the best possible deal. In other words, SeatGeek does all the work you save time, you save money. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, uh, you'll get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So get on it. Download the SeatGeek app, purchase tickets, then use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. That promo code again is COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Indiana lost again last night. Three straight losses. Three straight losses in the state of Indiana. Two inside Assembly Hall, one to Nebraska, the other to Wisconsin. Uh, they're not guarding at all. Um, they uh, have fallen out of the CBS Sports Top 25 and one. I suspect they'll fall out of the Top 25 uh, when it is updated next Monday, the AP poll and the coaches poll. Um, is it time to be real concerned with what's happening in Indiana? Yeah, listen, ratchet it up. I think Indiana's chances of winning the Big Ten are done because not only they are 0-2, they're 0-2 with home losses. Right. So to overcome that, I think, is too much to ask at this point. They didn't start off well. Uh, Crean even said it going into halftime last night. He said, you know, we, we weren't on the floor at the start of the game, essentially, because Wisconsin got off to, like, what, an 11-0, 13-0 start. Now, Indiana did come back and eventually took the lead before Wisconsin then regained control and really had the game in hand in the final couple of minutes there. Indiana gets a home game against Illinois. Should win it, but Illinois has talent. So I just, if they struggle in that and they win, I mean, there, there could be some serious issues because then after that, they got to go to Maryland. Um, I am concerned, not overly, because I still think that Indiana has the personnel and capability to get it right. 
But I did hear people referencing the start of last season with the Hoosiers and how there was concern. And I remember writing a, a pretty critical column on Indiana after it lost to Duke. I think it went to Duke last year in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and it stumbled. But that Indiana team, for you know, and it put things together for as iffy as it was to start, it never lost two games in a row. This Indiana team has now dropped three straight. All five of its losses have come within the state's borders, which is just kind of weird, to be honest. They've gone from 8-1 and one to 10-5. and five. The defense is problematic. Um, I, I do like their potential on any given night to play really well, and I still think that if they round out into decent form, manage to pull you know something of a of a seven seed or better which should be is still a rational thing that's very much on the table that they have the capability to break through to an elite eight with the personnel that they have but it will depend on matchups and it will depend on the defense getting its act together um and and frankly i just brought up their ken palm page i just They've got a terrible turnover percentage. I didn't realize it was this bad now. It's it's at 22% of their possessions. They're turning the ball over. Inversely, they're not turning people over. So that's a, that's a pretty brutal combo overall. Um, I think Blackman has not been as vital as I thought I, that he would be. And he has been good, but I thought he might be even better. And he's had flashes of that. Um, OG is still taking bad shots from beyond the perimeter. Um, I've got concerns there overall. I'm interested to see what Indiana fans think about the prospects of this season because I think I'm probably a little more optimistic than they are, GP. But the Big Ten title, I think, is now off the table. And now it's a matter of, okay, you got to protect your home floor at all costs here because if you don't, you're going you're gonna to really run into a situation here where your seed is going to be in, in some serious peril because they still got to like, play Purdue. Uh, at home they got good teams i mean we'll see what michigan state can do the purdue they actually got to play both so uh intriguing team and and real reason to i don't want to say panic but have legitimate concern going forward yeah i mean they're missing yogi farrell uh, you know they, I, I think they thought they were talented enough in other positions and good enough at that position to to still operate at an elite level and keep in mind they've got some massive wins this year they they beat kansas they beat uh, North Carolina, so it's not like they haven't beaten anybody. I'm with you. They still, on any given night, are capable of beating basically anybody, but um, they're also clearly capable of losing to anybody, even in their home arena, although Nebraska did make that loss look a little better by going to Maryland and also winning. Still, you shouldn't be losing to Nebraska inside Assembly Hall. You know, this is the first year after losing a, um, you know, an, an all-everything point guard, and we talked about it earlier uh, in the season about what's happening at Texas. You know, what's the common denominator there? You know, they Texas loses Isaiah Taylor. It doesn't have an obvious replacement. Struggles. Indiana loses Yogi Ferrell. Doesn't have an obvious replacement. Uh, has Is certainly struggling now. It's not unlike what happened at South Carolina when Devin Downey graduated. Shout out to uh, Devin Downey. But I still think Indiana, not going to win the Big Ten, but can still be in the NCAA tournament. And once you get into a single elimination event like that, you start playing well and offensively like they're capable of doing. Um, all the stuff that was on the table in the preseason remains on the table. And keep in mind, um, you know, they played Wisconsin basketball for basketball for about 32 minutes last night. It's just they, they dug themselves a hole that they could never quite 
uh, dig out of. Uh, it was, and, and you can't do that against good teams, against, and certainly not at home. Uh, but it's not like they got run off the court and lost by 25 or, or something like that. Uh, the nation's preseason number two team was in action last night. That's Kentucky, and they destroyed Texas A&M. Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox were uh, awesome. Uh, nothing really in- interesting or new to say about Kentucky. Uh, when those guys are operating at a high level, Kentucky is, is physically and athletically overwhelming for most opponents. That certainly was the case last night uh, for Texas A&M. Tonight, the nation's number one team, preseason number one team, is back in action. That's Duke against Georgia Tech inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. And what would be a whatever midweek game under normal circumstances will get much more attention because it'll be the first game since Duke lost at Virginia Tech. But it would also be the last game for Mike Krzyzewski before he has back surgery on Friday. We recorded our last podcast on Monday morning before the Krzyzewski news uh, broke. And it was funny watching the reaction to that news because you get everybody trying to make the same joke, you know, which, A, isn't funny and obviously unoriginal. Uh, but it's like, oh, every time they face adversity, you know, Kay's back flares up like I like if you think that's funny and you laugh at it and your buddies laugh at it, that's fine. Then you, I'm for people laughing. So if, the, if you can get a chuckle out of that, OK, but it's a stupid thing to say um, on multiple levels. A, it, it discounts like the pain this soon to be 70 year old man is been enduring. Um, I'm not asking you to cry tears for him. Uh, you know, the idea that he's held up as well as he's held up to the age of 70 is amazing. He doesn't look 70, doesn't conduct himself 70, doesn't do his job the way 70-year-olds typically do their jobs, which is not at all. It's past the retirement age, um, you know, but like he's hurting and he's 70 and, uh, and, and this is serious stuff. And, uh, you know, Phil Jackson can't coach in the NBA anymore partly because he's physically unable to do it. And you'd hate to uh, see a career like Mike's cut short by something uh, like this. So it's not any, I don't think anything to really joke about. Beyond that, it's also stupid and rooted in ignorance because, uh, hey, Duke's not struggling. They're 12 and two and ranked in the top 10. That's not, it's, um, it's like with all the adversity they've had to deal with, they're still 12 and two and ranked in the top 10. Beyond that, if your joke is every time Duke hits some adversity, Coach K takes a leave of absence, then let's talk about the 2014-15 season. You remember that one? They started sure. ACC play two and two. Yep. Two and two in right. ACC play. Nobody took a leave of absence. Nobody's back flared up. You know what they did? Won the national championship. So it is, it's such a weird uh, point of view. So many fans seem to have about Duke and K, and I guess it's just rooted in an anti-Duke thing. Uh, but the man is genuinely at the age of 69, about to be 70, in, in real pain. And he knew, I'm told, that there was no way he could coach through April in this kind of daily pain. So you go do the surgery now and hope to get back early February, mid-February, so that you can coach the end of the regular season, ACC tournament, and uh, NCAA tournament, obviously. But you don't start, uh, uh, you know, the, the idea that that seems like it's funny to, to or it's a cop-out on a struggling season just, uh, I don't know, it doesn't make much sense to me. For Duke, it's interesting that he's actually going to coach this Georgia Tech game here on Wednesday night. Um, but the, the sur- surgery is scheduled for when it's scheduled, and that's Friday. So he's been in pain, so might as well stay on the sideline until he's got to go into the knife. Um, it, it's an unprecedented situation. Um, I did write about, and it's on CBSSports.com right now, I wrote about the interesting 
uh, situation that the selection committee has with Duke this year because it's unprecedented. Now, every year, just about, they have to look at a team of some consequence, maybe not necessarily one seed or a two seed, but certainly teams that are, you know, trying to get into uh, the NCAA tournament and taking a look at what they can do with injury situations. Denzel Valentine, Kenyon Martin are two of the most notables over the past couple of years. So Martin was really 17, 18 years ago. And now they're going to look at a team without Mike Krzyzewski, you know, with him, without him, with him. They're going to look at the Grayson Allen injury situation or the suspension. They're going to look at the freshman injury situations. And all of these things will be taken into account. How tangible will those impacts be remains to be seen. But here's the takeaway that I think is definitive. If Duke, and I don't expect this to happen, but if it did happen, if Duke goes, let's say, 4-4 four and four with Capel on the bench, and then Krzyzewski comes back, and Duke doesn't lose again until the ACC title game. Well, they're going to have an interesting challenge, they being the selection committee in front of them, because there will have been real reason to believe that the team was not as uh, capable without Krzyzewski as it was with him. And because of that, their resume might indicate something of a four or five seed, but they're going to take Krzyzewski's absence into account. Maybe Duke gets a three seed. I don't expect that to happen, but it is something that's on the table. Some people reject this and think it's some sort of favoritism toward Duke. It's not that. This would be this. This would be the case if it was Gardner Webb. Okay, it, 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 if a team lost its coach for four or five weeks due to health-related reasons, this is what would happen. Just as the same as a player. By the way, GP, I have no problem with this because, especially at the college level. More than at high school when you have a player take over a game, more than the NBA where players run the league, in college, coaches' influence, and especially when you're talking at the Krzyzewski level, they can mean as much to a team season and its record as any one individual player. No question. We saw it last year at Syracuse. You know, they were a different team with Jim Beheim than they were without Jim Beheim. So um, I think Duke will be fine under Jeff Capel, but uh, – if, if they don't look like the same team without their Hall of Fame coach, it, it won't be the first time we've seen it uh, even in the past couple of years. Uh, last thing before we get out of here, Villanova at Butler tonight inside Hinkle Fieldhouse. Massive game. Uh, Villanova trying to extend its winning streak to 21. Who wins it? I'm going to take Villanova because um, it, it looks really solid. Creighton, Creighton's better than Butler in my opinion. Now going back to back on the road is tough. Uh, do you know the line, GP? If I had to guess, I'd say... Villanova minus one and a half. Ooh, I would have said like Nova three and a half. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, give me Villanova 81-76. Uh, they win. They remain undefeated. Um, but it would certainly... Listen, if Butler won, by the way, they would have... Just take a look at their you know top 50 wins if they win. Um, they've had a, you know, they had a, a bad loss at St. John's, but the good part of their resume will be really, really good if they can knock off Villanova. So it should be interesting. I can't believe you didn't want to talk about Roy Williams and Brad Brownell getting into it. For That was just weird. Like, you know, what, what is there to say about it? Like, Brad was clearly just frustrated. <laughs> well, it was start, weird. Know, well, we yeah. don't have to, like, make it a whole thing. But it's just you don't see it that often, especially yeah. with, like, a coach that's made one NCAA tournament, like, going after a Hall of Famer. 
Like that was just yeah, it was and, weird. And, like it's a bad look too. Like you know, yeah, like, it's not a good look. And Brownell, by the way, is not known for having you know. Well, Brad, Brad better be glad him. he went after Roy like that because you go after a different guy like that. <laughs> no, like oh, go, uh, like yeah. go after go after Calipari like that, or go after oh Tom gosh. Crean yeah. like that, or go after. Oh. Get about uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, there, there's a different guy. Like, yeah, start yelling at Bob Huggins and pointing at Bob Huggins like that. See what oh, happens. my goodness. You're bringing up great examples. And the thing <laughs> was, apparently, it stemmed from because, like, Kennedy Meeks just kept trash talking Clemson all night, including the bench. And I guess, you know, Brownell saw it as a reflection of Roy's inability to kind of keep his player in check. Personally, I don't know what was said, and that could uh, affect my opinion here. But I am so pro trash talk in basketball that that's no. If that is truly why Brownell got so heated, I, I you know he's out of line there. I've got zero issue with guys bringing it on the floor and trash talking because that is as much a part of basketball as traveling and hitting game winning shots. I mean, it right, is like, it like, is like, with, without like, a doubt. Who cares if somebody's talking to your bench? Like why? Like who? Like who? Cares? You're making millions of dollars. <laughs> like who cares? And like and and. You know, like last night, Nick Young was air humping while his three pointer was in the air. I'm for all. I saw how much you love that. Dude, You're very pro air hump. I love air hump in any scenario. I love it when kids do it. I think it's hilarious when adults do it. And I don't even mean just in basketball. I like. I mean like at the office. Like I. I like. I like the air hump just walking around the house. I think air, I hump, air hump after a really good podcast. Yeah. I'm, like, gonna air, I'm gonna air hump in a couple minutes. I saw. I saw somebody on Twitter. They were like, "What is Nick Young air humping for? They've lost 15 to 17, dude. You are so missing the point. Why is he air humping? Because he has an opportunity on national TV to air hump. Do you know how few people get that in this world? You, if you got an opportunity to air hump on national TV while you're actually like shooting the ball pretty well, you have to take advantage of that. So I'm for I'm for trash talking. I'm for air humping. I'm for hanging on the rim after dunks. <laughs> I'm for people fainting after their teammates dunk. I'm for the Monmouth bench. I'm for all this stuff. And I like and and you know what I'm against? I think the hand stupid handshake line. Why do we need that? Why do uh, so? Okay, so these guys are like Brad's like on you know entered the season on the hot seat as well. Like this could be a make or break type of win or loss for his career, and he loses it. And um, within seconds of that, you're supposed to like congratulate the guy. Like I I think he was wrong to pop off the way he did, and he better be glad he popped off to Roy as opposed to some of the other guys we named because they'd have come right back at him. Um. But, like, I can understand how you might be frustrated. You're fighting for your career. And then 10 seconds later, after it's over, you're asked to, like, go, hey, great job. Congratulations. Like, imagine that in any other walk of life. Like, like, imagine you're in a highly competitive um, reporting situation. Biggest story of your life. You get beat on it. And then five seconds later, in public, in front of people and cameras, you have to congratulate the guy that got you on the story. Like what? Like you'd be frustrated too. It's no, just sports is just so different from every other occupation. But I know what you're saying. I yeah, mean, I, I guess so, it's different, but it's, it's just unnecessary. It's there's nothing genuine about it. The guy who has to congratulate the other guy isn't really happy. Coaches are miserable when they lose, and so I just think we'd be uh, like I, I'm not going to write a column saying here's the next thing we must get rid of post game handshakes. But like I don't know why we have them. Like, you know, I, I don't think they're necessary. 
It's just the notion of amateur athletics and sports. Media. I get out of my face with amateur I'm athletics. Saying, you're, you're saying I don't know why. I'm telling you why that happened. Yeah, well, amateur, the whole idea that this stuff is amateur athletics is ridiculous. So, anyway. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So, please do that. Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you again on Friday. Till then, 